This is Tales from the Pros, where business leaders and influencers share their stories of inspiration, struggles, and successes. And I'm your host, Michael Giorgio. Hey everyone, welcome to Tales from the Pros. This is Michael Giorgio, co-founder and chief marketing officer at Imagine Ovation here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Have a special guest here today. His name is Jim Anthony, and he's the CEO of Colliers International in Raleigh, Durham. Did I say Colliers right? You got it. Perfect. Well, cool, cool. Colliers. Colliers. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Jim, I would say I would call him a real estate guru, uh, commercial real estate guru. Uh, has That's what my Indian friends call me. <laughs> <laughs> and I know you have uh, one of the most diverse and distinguished commercial real estate track records in southeastern U.S. So Jim... Thanks for being here, man. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you for... Honored that you would ask. Absolutely, yeah. yes, sir. Cool. So, uh, Jim, tell me a little bit. You know, we've done research on you, obviously, and, and I want to get a little insight of, of how you came about becoming the CEO at Collier's. Um, I know you were you had Anthony and Co. before that. So, tell us a little bit about that. The journey started in uh, Los Angeles, California. Mm-hmm. After I graduated from the University of Southern California, okay, I had uh, really no idea what I was going to do. And then I had one of those fateful conversations that I encourage young people, actually all people, but mm-hmm. particularly young people who are trying to find their way, yeah. to keep their eyes and ears open for one of these crossroads conversations. When somebody will walk into your life who has literally a life-changing word that will change the direction of your life forever. And that happened to me when I was in uh, Beverly Hills, of all places, uh, working as a youth director at All Saints Church. Okay. And a fellow who happened to be uh, best friends with uh, Ronald Reagan saw what I was doing, asked me what I was hoping to do and I said I don't know I'm just a guy who's got good relationship skills I got an MBA but I don't remember anything that I learned in class I know you went to Duke as well right I did and uh, he said what do you think about commercial real estate I said what is that (laughs) and he uh, he said let me introduce you to somebody and then that began my journey Uh, four years later uh, my wife and I were moving to Raleigh, North Carolina, mm-hmm. to raise a family in a much safer place. Uh, we, uh, I took a job with a uh, good company here in town, and then the entrepreneurial bug bit in 1987, and I started Anthony Company. Wow. So that's how I got there. It was just me borrowing some office space from uh, a friend and partner of mine, mm-hmm. Tom Darden. And uh, I was uh, blessed to be able to add a person every six months or so, and the company just grew uh, with uh, demand from a market that needed high-integrity people to do commercial real estate services. Hmm. So just a transaction guy. And I started doing a little bit of investing on the side. I would encourage everybody to diversify their uh, their investment portfolios into real estate. Definitely. <laughs> and uh, it that worked out really well also. Started a, a de- separate development company in 1999. 
which exists to this day. Uh, we uh, remained Anthony and Company until 2010 when we okay. affiliated with Colliers. And over the years, we've grown into different service lines, different product types. Uh, we added retail, for example, just a year ago. Um, we, uh, we did not have really good retail service capabilities. Mm-hmm. Now we do. Uh, we didn't have um, multifamily sales expertise uh, a couple of years ago, a few years ago, actually. Now we do. We've got a very strong team. So this is the way you build it, you know, a brick at a time. Right? Yeah. And, uh, Baby steps. So that's the way we've done it. Cool. Yeah. And so you, you owned Anthony and Company for what it was, it seemed like a long, long time. Um, and then I kind of – so Collier's is – it's an international company, right? And then they give, they give you opportunity to – what is it like? How does it work? Well, the uh, the mothership is actually headquartered in uh, administratively in Toronto, Canada. Okay, I used to live there but they seven years. Diversified the uh, locations of different functions. Corporate mm-hmm. services is headquartered in Atlanta. Uh, the marketing services is headquartered in Boston. Uh, property management is headquartered in Washington D.C. So it's a really interesting flat model that relies on local entrepreneurs who are invested in their businesses to, um, to really grow the company uh, across the globe. Mm-hmm. Uh, Collier's owns um, most of their offices in partnership with uh, local entrepreneurs. In some cases they own 100%, sometimes they own 70%. Uh, in our case, we're an affiliate wouldn't surprise me if we didn't ultimately become a, uh, an old office. <laughs> but anyway, that's how things have uh, grown for, for Colliers. And there, there's probably 240 offices in the United States today. And, uh, and then there's many, many more all around the world. I think we're on every continent now. Okay. Cool. Wow. Yeah, I know. I definitely heard of it. I know it's a big, big company. Um, it, was it? Is it different running Colliers than it was with, with Anthony and Company? Well, yes different. and no. Yeah. Okay. The yes is people are people, uh, and managing people is the same everywhere. But being part of Colliers has enabled us to grow significantly. So we're now a much larger organization than we were in 2010 when we joined. Mm-hmm. In addition, uh, we have uh, partners all across the country. Most of our business is done with folks in the United States. We mm-hmm. do very little international business because we're not in a gateway city. I think New York and Chicago, yeah. and LA, they're, they're very into international business, but we are not. So we're primarily an inbound market. So those cities send business to Raleigh, and we get to do business with some really sophisticated, wonderful people mm-hmm. from around the country in these gateway cities that we did not have the opportunity to do business with when we were a local boutique. We were successful, but we were small, and there were limitations on how we could grow. We chose to become part of Collier so that we could grow and be better providers to the client. Got it. So it's kind of a better opportunity that came up and yes. took it. Cool. Yes. Um, did you always see yourself, Jim, as as being an entrepreneur? I know you said you got bit by the entrepreneur bug, but when you were growing up, did you always see yourself? You're like, I'm going to become, you know, I'm going to own a business. I have all these ideas, or 
How did you? How did that come about? Did it just come as a blessing in disguise, or? Yeah, I would say probably more of the latter than a plan. And mm-hmm. this is again one of the reasons why I ask people to be alert to opportunity, things that are said around you that really sort of prick your imagination uh, <clears throat> or. or give you a sense of uh, excitement around uh, a thought, Mm -hmm. an idea. Um, I had not thought about being a business owner. I just basically graduated from college. I wanted to train. I was training for the decathlon, so I went to Los Angeles to become a sports star. I had no idea what I was going (laughs) to do after that, or if I failed in doing that. Yeah. I actually had the opportunity to talk to Bruce Jenner back then. And... The next thing I know, uh, I rip up the ligaments in my right ankle, and the mm. uh, 1980 Olympics get canceled, and so uh, it's all a moot point. So now it's back to the drawing boards. I'm not thinking about starting a new business on my own. I'm thinking about, all right, what do I do to make a living here? And uh, so that led to becoming a full commission eat what you kill mm-hmm. broker in the San Fernando Valley. That's how I got started. I starved for seven months and then a deal closed and then another one and then another you one got and it. started to fall faster. And I wound up being rookie of the year for our industrial division. And I was in love with real estate at that point. I'm one of these people who loves to cold call, sees it as a challenge to get into somebody's office and you know win them over as a client. I just love that stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. So uh, when I was working for someone else and getting itchy to do some things on my own, I realized, you know, this isn't going to work out well here. I need to do this in a different environment. I'll try to do it on my own. So everything I learned about running a business, I learned the hard way, one person at a time. It's not to say I didn't have mentors along the way, which I think is another really important life lesson, is look for people who will mentor you mm-hmm. and choose people. Don't, don't let it happen accidentally. Yeah. See if you can control who gets to put the input into your Got life. Got it. Yeah. So m- mentors are definitely important. I know I've had a few mentors, my parents and... Actually, my my first job, I had a I had a mentor. He was he was he was a great guy and taught me a lot about sales. I think, I think, um, and a lot of my podcasts talk about how sales is a big uh, element of being an entrepreneur. And I, I like what you mentioned about uh, cold calling. It's like you're not afraid of the hard work. You're not afraid to reach out to new people. See it you're not, as a challenge, yep. and it becomes fun. Absolutely. See it as a slap in the face, and you're never going to like it. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. That is that is true. Um, so, you know, with all your experience in real estate in general, uh, more co- kind of more corporate commercial real estate, what do you see as kind of the, you know, what's the commercial real estate market looking like at the moment in North Carolina and in the U.S. in general? Or are they different? Kind of how is everything looking now this, at this moment? I'm one of these guys that's uh, kind of so deep in the weeds that all I can see are uh, trees. Uh, so you're asking me to talk about the forest. Well, okay, the first forest I can talk to you is about Raleigh mm-hmm. and Durham and the immediate surrounding communities, which are hot as a pistol. Mm-hmm. The growth Booming. forces are continuing unabated, and 
and uh, we are blessed with these amazing universities. And kids, instead of leaving Duke and leaving the state, which is what happened when I went there, mm-hmm. they're choosing to stay here. UNC kids, smart kids, choosing to stay here. You, NC State engineers, smart kids, choosing to stay here, not going somewhere else. They're, they're saying, I want to be here. I don't care about your job in New York or, well, there's still plenty of people who want to get started in New York because if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere, right? Uh, At least that's what Frank Sinatra says. (laughs) And it's true. Uh, And I've had a bunch of interns who've left me to go to New York or Atlanta or San Francisco, Mm -hmm. and and I don't blame them. Uh, But I say, you'll be back. You'll be back. Because... That's no place to raise a family, and yeah. you'll figure that out when you want. Uh, so, talking about real estate markets, the gateway cities in America are all very hot. Mm-hmm. Uh, international business and capital is seeking to enter the United States, primarily in the gateway cities. But the flip side of that coin is that there are a lot of areas that are not participating in this amazing boom yeah you only have to go 30 or 40 miles outside of Raleigh or Durham and you will find some moribund small towns they're all over rural North Carolina all over so the metros Raleigh Durham surrounding cities even Greensboro Winston-Salem High Point Surrounding close-in towns, mm-hmm. Charlotte, Asheville, Greenville, North Carolina. These communities are really, really healthy. But most of the state, the vast majority of the acreage in this state is not really participating. Why? Because of the urbanization trends that are really national. This, what I'm describing to you, is not a North Carolina phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's all yep. over the country. Yep. You can go just 20 miles, 30 miles outside of New York City, and the same kind of thing starts to happen. Uh, so, uh, it's important to say uh, there's kind of two markets. There are the <clears throat> urban, suburban, hot markets, and then there's kind of the rest of the country. And I think we see that sentiment played out in kind of the national conversations about you mm-hmm. know, what what are the healthy markets and which are not. Where are people happy and where are the tax revenues supporting the economy and where are they not? Yeah. Uh, so these are, these are big issues that the country is going to have to face. And families are going to have to make decisions about it because if... A community is not healthy financially. Schools go into decline. Healthcare goes into decline. People don't want to live there. It snowballs. It's all connected. Yep. Yep. And and what are what do you feel like are the main reasons that commer- you know real estate in general in, in Raleigh is booming? You think it's just because obviously I think it helps a lot that um, people are starting businesses, mm-hmm. right? Entrepreneurship is. Huge. It's huge right now. It's, it's, the, it's the thing. It's right. the thing to do right now is owning a business. It's the, it's the dream. And I think that's amazing. I think mm-hmm. that's that's going to make, I mean, it's going to take take the U.S. to, a, to another level, I, think, I feel. I totally um, agree. And I, I think that is definitely connected to real estate for sure, right? Mm-hmm. You could, I'm sure you could agree to that. I tell folks, everyone 
is in the real estate business. Everyone. Mm-hmm. If you don't own it, you're renting it. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so yep. at That's some true. level, we're all participating in the market. We might be just writing a small rent check, but everybody's participating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And speaking about that, speaking about business owners, entrepreneurs, uh, like myself, for example, you know, we're we're always trying to, you know, we're, we're scaling, we're growing, um, and it's it's a great, you know, it's a good thing. But you're also looking, you know, we're also looking for uh, for new spaces, buildings, and an office space, and and maybe maybe some to buy or rent. It just mm-hmm. kind of depends. But what tips would you give uh, business owners or people in general who are looking to buy a commercial property? Um, are you like what? What tips would you really give them to, to do it the right way? What would what would you make them avoid as well? Mm-hmm. Number one, get a great real estate advisor to walk you through the process. Uh, I think it's a huge mistake to think, well, I can figure out this real estate thing. Mm-hmm. This is why lawyers exist and accountants exist. You know, I I can't do my own tax return anymore. Yeah. Okay. So get good advice. Okay. Uh, number two, if you don't think you're going to be there for seven years or more, don't buy it. I say this to people who want to be in the house business. Unless you're stealing a house, if you don't think you're going to be there five years or more, rent it. Mm-hmm. Rent. Don't buy. In uh, real and commercial real estate for your business. I would not buy it unless for for your own use, unless you can see yourself there for seven years or more. Uh, that means there's got to be room to grow if you think you're going to grow, or the capacity to shrink and rent out your space right. to somebody else if you shrink. So that's point number one. Point number two is uh, if you're buying it for investment purposes, then throw those rules out, okay? It's really about how rentable is it? What's happening in the neighborhood? Are the demographics working in your favor? Like people are moving in, the neighborhood's gentrifying, uh, there's clear trends that are adding to the value of the property? Mm -hmm. Or is it the reverse? If the demographics are working against you, it's shrinking, you know, the, the buildings are going downhill around you, don't buy there. Uh, you, you don't really want to be the person who's the pioneer getting shot, who doesn't have the capital to really lead a transformation of a neighborhood. Mm-hmm. It, it takes, I'll give you a great example. Jim Goodman and his team that took the American Tobacco Project and single-handedly sparked the renaissance of downtown Durham because they took on over a million square feet of vacant industrial space. Wow. And said, we're going to make this happen and we're going to do it all at the same time. Thanks to Duke, Peter Carmanos, Glaxo, a number of other people, they were able to get what I'll call community development leasing done Mm -hmm. to get that project kicked off. And it wound up being the spark that transformed downtown Durham. Now in Raleigh, there have been a number of things, nothing that large, obviously, Mm -hmm. but there have been a number of things that have resulted in the uh, renaissance of downtown Raleigh. Chief among those is getting people to move back down here. So the condo boom 
of the early 2000s, early and mid-2000s, was really important. It mostly happened around Glenwood Avenue, and uh, folks who bought as owner-occupants got killed mm. on the value of their property initially. They've gotten back to where they, what they paid for it in uh, 2005, 6, 7. But the people who were buying in 2008, 9, 10, 11 were buying at 50% of what these things sell for now. Yeah. Not quite that bad, but you know, 35, 40% off, and they've made a lot of money. Mm. There's now uh, thousands of apartments downtown that didn't exist back then. So all of that has contributed to this life and lifestyle that now is very attractive in downtown Raleigh, as well as downtown Durham. Uh, those are the kinds of things that you look for before you invest. Uh, if you're smart enough to see it coming before it actually happens, and there are some who did that, they're the big winners. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you are investing in property, let's just say, definitely do your research. Look at yeah. data, look at analytics. That's important yeah. to you, right? It is. Um, and when you're buying, um, how much like, – do you have – are there any like – is there a certain amount of capital that you need to buy, or is there like kind of what, what are the boundaries? What are the rules around that? Sure. So typically, <clears throat> if you're trying to buy a residential rental property, you're going to have to pay twenty five percent, thirty percent down. Somebody else is running it. Uh, the loan terms from a bank on a rental property are going to be probably a twenty year amortization. An interest rate today of around four and three quarters to five percent mm-hmm. fixed rates for five years, not ten or twenty, because uh, banks who are doing commercial lending, when you're buying income property, it's a commercial loan. It may not be commercial real estate in your mind, but to the banker it is. Yeah, yep. Uh, the person who's buying a house. If they're a first-time homebuyer, they might be getting into it for next to nothing down because there are some very attractive programs that are perhaps city-based, county-based, depending on where you are, uh, that will help first-time homebuyers get it. So can be as small as 5% for a a homebuyer that's a condo or a uh, a, a single-family home that's a townhouse or a house. And, uh, but I would say most people are probably putting down uh, 10 to 20% okay. on their house. Yeah. And, um, but somebody buys this office building. Highwoods bought this office building for about $332 a square foot that, that you and I are sitting in. Because they're a REIT, Real Estate Investment Trust, they probably only levered this to... 60%, maybe 50%. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a, if you and I put together a syndicate to buy this building, we would try to buy it with 75% debt. And that would probably be as far as we could get. There are some special situations where you can get as high as 80% loan to cost. Um, and... Uh, so that gives you kind of a sense of what. Yeah, you're yeah. About. And how long, when when you're investing a property, how long does it usually take for you to get a return? Is it? Do you think it just really depends, or is there like you know, a five year? Or just 
Do you think it's just all dependent on okay, the area? So and- this is a fabulous question. You should be only buying when you can actually get an immediate return. Okay. Especially if you're a young investor. Mm-hmm. You don't want to speculate on property that has no return on it because it might become a money pit very quickly. Yeah. I'll give you an example of a property that is probably not performing as well as anybody thought it would. Sky House, a fabulous, cool, high-rise apartment building. Raleigh? Here in Raleigh. 322 units sold for the highest price anybody's paid per apartment or per square foot ever in the city. Bought on a pro forma that projected rents. They didn't actually have the rents. They mm-hmm. were projecting the rents because the building at the time was only about 65-70% leased. The projections were based on 95% leased. Well, here's what happened. Any apartment in downtown Raleigh, if you want a one-year lease now, you can get at least one month free. And if you ask nicely and repeatedly, you can get two months free. Okay? Yeah. So take two, <laughs> say two months off of your annual rent and tell me what you're really collecting if you're the landlord. Okay, if, you're bought, if you bought that building on a pro forma that did not include the assumptions about two months of free rent per mm-hmm. year, you just got your head whacked. Yeah. Your wallet whacked, okay? And so this is the kind of thing that I think advisors are so important. Yeah. Yeah. Sophisticated investors who are buying big buildings like that typically get good advice. But the the estimated income on pro forma in that building was less than 4% return. And if you're borrowing the money at the same price that you're making the money, Three and a half, three and a half, three and a half in, three and a half out. Mm-hmm. Where's the cash flow? There isn't any. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> there isn't any. And this is my point, is that there have been some deals that were not really smart deals. And there have been some deals that were really good deals, like a, a stabilized asset with a bunch of office tenants in it like this. You know, Highwoods isn't a stupid buyer. They're going to buy it. I think they bought this for probably a six and a half, six and three quarter cap rate. To get a six and a half percent return on cost, they're going to borrow, you know, only half of that at, you know, very cheap rates because they're such a huge company. Mm-hmm. They can uh, they can leverage it and turn it into a much better cash on cash yield than the guy who bought the apartment building down the street. Got it. Do you think that just because like so now you know tech is booming? Mm-hmm. All right, technology is it's just. It's it's evolving like crazy every every single day. It's hard to keep up with it, um, but at the same time, it's great. I think I think there's a lot of um, you know amazing technology. There's so many um, so many entrepreneurs are coming with the, coming up with these with these really innovative ideas um, to to automate processes to help make our lives a, a little bit easier. Um, with that being said, in the real estate market, preferably commercial, do you feel technology is Allowing investors, it's it's making it easier for investors to to make the right investment. Yes, yeah, without a doubt. Can you give any examples? 
When I first got in the business, uh, there was very limited data available about an investment opportunity. You'd get a printed book that you had to receive by mail, mm -hmm. FedEx or otherwise, uh, or later on by fax machine. There was no such thing as email. And it was not possible because software, software was not developed enough, enough to really thoroughly analyze an investment and grab all the data that's available off of tax, tax property tax, tax databases mm -hmm. or transaction databases. All this stuff that comes together, together now, how that will form an opinion of value, is, is, is now, now immediately available, whereas, whereas it wasn't, wasn't at all available. You had to hire people, people to go get, get that stuff for you. you. Physically, physically go down to the courthouse and look through the deeds to see what you can pay for. There was no published database of properties. No, no. Yeah. yeah. Somebody, Somebody had to go there and literally <laughs> copy that out of the tech records. So uh, it, there's, there's been a huge difference. And it has made the market far more efficient in prices. So, for example, uh, you could see a range of offering prices on, let's say, it's a property that would trade for $10 million. You might have seen somebody offer seven to you know ten million dollars, but the person with seven obviously didn't have the same data as the person with ten. Um, and uh, today, offers come in at a much tighter range of values because they're all using the same information sources and making decisions from that. Yeah. It, but, but, but the, the thing, thing is, if you, you think, think about, about it, so, so we, have we have all these tools, tools we have all these different, different software, these applications that, that enable us, give us the data, data that we need to, write, to, to make, make the right, right investments. investments. Um, I'm, I'm sure, sure there's, there's a, lot a lot of software out there, there as well for, for, for uh, commercial buyers, buyers as well, well right? right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but do you, do you think, think that makes it a lot more competitive to actually get the right property that you want? I mean, can you imagine the competition? Exactly right. You nailed it. It is far more difficult to get a good buy when you have far more people competing to buy it because it's become so much more transparent. It's great for sellers, yep. sucks for buyers. <laughs> great for sellers, sucks for buyers. Yeah. Aye, aye, aye. <laughs> wow. Do you, do, you, do you feel it's... As, as the people are trying to buy houses around Raleigh-Durham right now, I mean, they're getting people overbidding prices mm -hmm. and everybody sees it hit the market at the same time and their properties are literally getting 10 offers. Wow. Yeah. Over the asking price. 10 offers over the asking price. Oh my gosh. Sometimes you wonder, I don't know if, if tech is good. <laughs> yeah, right. But, I mean, I guess it's a, it's a cash 22. You kind of, you love it, you hate it, you need mm -hmm. it. You like it when you sell it. Yeah, that's, that's right. That, that is right. Um, so what are the what are the future plans for for Colliers? What, what are your guys' future plans? We want to continue to grow our service capabilities. We want to uh, grow our client base. Uh, we've grown our property management business substantially. We want to keep growing that. We want to get more office buildings under leasing and management and be more competitive in that space. We want to offer more investment um, opportunities. Uh, institutional grade as investment opportunities. Mm -hmm. uh, we want to do more land sales. Uh, we want to open um, sort of sub offices in smaller markets around the eastern part of the state. Mm -hmm. uh, 
And so we want to grow, and we are looking for good people. Yeah. Good, good to hear. It's always about the people you work with. Team is All very, 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 very important. All about it. Uh, sometimes even they say the, that uh, your employees are more important than your clients sometimes, but mm-hmm. I think some, I guess it's, some people disagree, but that's that's what everyone that's what everyone keeps telling me. Yeah. Employees are number one. So I, I think that's it because if you don't have a great culture mm-hmm. and a great team, you will not be able to serve clients well. That's right. Period. Yep. It's like saying in order for you to serve others, you gotta you gotta make sure you're stable. You know what you're doing before you can just go out and, and help other people. You gotta make sure you have your stuff together. That's right. <laughs> right. So that's the same thing with with, with have, building a company. Um, so jumping the gun a little bit here, more on the th- philanthropic side of being a business leader yourself and entrepreneur and owning owning different companies um, during your career. What struggles? What struggles can you you know have have you been through, and how did you overcome them? You know because you know this from from top business leaders around the world that it was hard for them to get to where they are today. It was very, very tough. And what I want to kind of give what insight I want to give to people, to our audiences is that nothing good comes easy. If you want to provide value, it's, it's not easy to do. I mean, it sucks saying that sometimes because you're like, I want to help people want to do all these great things in my life. Um, but, but to, to, to do, do something that you love, love and, 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 and to help, to help people, people to, to provide value, value do, do great things in the world in general, general I, I think, think it takes a lot of commitment and hard work and, and overcoming adversity and struggle. Um, and, and, and I think that, that makes you who you are. are. So, so did you, you, what, what, what challenges did you go through even with Anthony or with colleagues that, 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 that got, got you to where you are today? Where to start? Let me start with the sort of human side of business and say that... People are strange. That's a quote from Jim Morrison. Uh, and the truth is that uh, managing different personalities, the larger the organization gets, the more difficult it becomes. Because conflict becomes inevitable. It's inevitable. It is inevitable. When it's just you know five to ten good friends. You're going to have your stuff, but you're going to work through it. But right. what if you don't really know each other that well? And somebody's got a chip on their shoulder. Or somebody's got, you know, temper problems. Or somebody's a gossip. Mm-hmm. I've had all that stuff happen. Okay? We all have. And I will tell you that when I wasn't really careful about hiring... And I didn't work really hard on getting to the internal values that drove, drive the people that I work with. Mm -hmm. I had a couple of gossips get into my organization. And if you haven't run into a gossiper in the workplace yet, I pray you don't. Mm -hmm. Because they are deadly to an organization. They love the power that comes from negative secrets mm-hmm. about other people, and uh, and it's cancerous yeah. organization. That's a challenge. It How is, do you yeah. manage that? Okay, here's one way you manage it: hire slowly, fire quickly. Never forget that. Don't wait and wait and wait That's and right. wait. Yeah. Yeah. Number two: hire for values first, skills second. Skills can be taught; values can't be. Values pretty much come with the person's package mm-hmm. from their youth and how they were raised. Um, 
So the, the human side, I think, for all of us, can present one of the biggest challenges to growing, starting and growing the business. Mm-hmm. Then there's the market component, which I've been through several market cycles, uh, the worst of which, frankly, for real estate, occurred in 1989, 90, About the time uh, you were probably born uh, was the timing of the collapse of the savings and loan industry mm-hmm. and a lot of banks. Uh, what happened was that many uh, of these institutions had overextended themselves uh, on loans, making uh, very similar mistakes mm-hmm. to what you saw happen in 2000, that gave rise Sorry. to 2008, Yeah, 2008, yep. Uh, over poor credit, um, it, uh, but it was mostly commercial real estate, not residential real estate. Uh, it was ugly. The property markets saw generally 50% declines in value. 50% whacked off. Mm. Now, that meant most everybody was underwater uh, because if you're levered 75% to value and you lose 50% of your value, all of a sudden you're 25% underwater on your loan. So if your banker wasn't willing to ride that out with you until all that foreclosed real estate got washed out of the system, you went down with everybody else. Yeah. That's why a lot of people went down in uh, 2008, 9, 10. Uh, banks got impatient. They yeah. foreclosed. And the property values pop right back up. And had they just been patient with their borrowers, assuming they were able to continue to make payments Mm -hmm. on some basis. I mean, cut the interest rate, extend the amortization, put them on interest-only loans, just try to keep (laughs) these guys alive. And I can speak from personal experience because I had to battle with a lender over all this, and it was not pleasant. It was really not pleasant. And I came out pretty well compared to a lot of my friends who got crushed. Banks just crushed them. And the Banks were giving out these huge loans for people who couldn't afford to pay them. Correct. Right? Yeah. That was a big part of it. Uh, but then, you know, when when the falling tide sort of grounds most of the boats in the market, mm-hmm. uh, you don't just abandon all the boats. You wait for the tide to come back in and get your loans back in line. And unfortunately, a lot of banks didn't do that, especially the big ones. So, riding through market cycles is a uh, is a challenge that you got to be ready for. My personal prediction is that this uh, this expansion of real estate values and hot market is probably getting long in the tooth. I think we're going to look back and say the peak of the market was 2016. And the 2017 and 18, we're actually already starting on the other side of the slope. Does that mean there's going to be another collapse? I was no. just going to ask I'm that. Not, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not calling for that. Yeah. Uh, I'm not saying that it can't happen because mm-hmm. it can. I'm not saying it will happen either. I'm just saying that transaction activity has slowed for two years straight. 15 turns out was the biggest year for investment property sales 
2016 was off double digits, like mm. 10, 12 percent. 2017 off another 14 percent. 2018 probably going to slow down some more. So that means that property values are not rising; they've kind of flattened out and might actually start to decline a little bit. Interest rates have gone up. As interest rates go up, generally commercial real estate prices go down because they're income instruments, right? Yeah. Um, housing has been uh, actually has actually lagged the market. Housing is still very hot here and continues to be, and housing prices have continued to rise, and the volume of housing sales, though, interestingly, has slowed. How could that be? Because there is less, there are less houses being built. Why? Because there's less lots being produced, less lots being approved by the municipalities, less building permits being mm-hmm. issued. All these municipalities are way behind on building permitting activity. It's gotten up to a year of delays to get building permits wow. in some cases. Yeah, amazing. So that's another risk in my business is regulation and what happens with municipalities. You know, are they friendly towards it or are they a dead set against approving new development? Right now, we just had an election here in Raleigh, which essentially resulted in the anti-development community voting in their favorite candidates. And so... Um, I don't blame people for wanting to close the door to Raleigh because they like it the way it is and they don't want more change. But they wouldn't be here if Raleigh hadn't changed to become more and more attractive. And that is what has been continuing to happen through development. Better buildings, better apartments, better restaurants, (laughs) better everything, frankly, uh, has been occurring because we've been friendly to development. If you shut development down, stagnancy, mm-hmm. stagnation will follow. It won't happen six months, but the fruit will start to show 12, 18 months down the road when the building permitting stops and the municipalities don't have the cash flow from development activity that they have come to depend on to fund their budgets. Yeah. Then it swings the other way because they raise property taxes <laughs> and they vote them out. Wow. So you, you have to learn definitely how to adapt and pivot very quickly. Mm-hmm. And I think, can you agree that it's with any, it doesn't matter what industry you're in owning a business, you think that that's that's pretty common for every type of mm-hmm. business you have to learn how to pivot there's always going to be these challenges things coming at you uh, like market changes right so you got to learn how to yes. how to adapt and, and and kind of act act quickly exactly um, I like to say yeah. that the um, transparency that's been brought to us by the internet the instantaneous distribution of information has a yin and a yang to it yeah. The light is transparency, and we get more data, and it's fun and fast. The yang, the negative, the dark side is any bad news can jolt the markets like that. Mm. And they do. Scary. So you can have massive sell-offs in stock markets. 
you can have massive freezes in capital markets. What would happen tomorrow if a nuke went off in some populated area? Anywhere in the world. Anywhere in the world. Stock markets would crash yep. immediately. Capital markets would freeze. Your loan application would get... We're putting that on hold right now. <laughs> this is the reality that comes with this kind of transparency. Mm -hmm. As you said, we're not the only ones that have to pivot. So do the banks. So does the government. Everybody's got to move faster right. because the whole system is rigged for high speed. Right, right. Well, it's it's um, crazy. It's it's good and scary all at the same time. Exactly. <laughs> it really is. Um, you know. So aside from from adapting quickly and pivoting and, and understanding market market changes and trends. Uh, for if I wanted to become a real estate, a uh, commercial real estate investor, or I wanted to be a buyer, and, and this is for for anyone who's listening, uh, what tips would you really give them to to get started? Um, I guess you can give some tips on investor, which is is obviously different than mm -hmm. than uh, being being a buyer. Right. But right. what would you kind of? I would say it's different. Yeah. 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 So my general advice to people is, if you like where you live and you like renting, your first investment should be a duplex or a condo or uh, a townhouse or two. Start with something small so you get used to the idea of making a payment to the bank and receiving a payment from a renter. Negotiating leases, getting that spread in cash flow between the expenses, the debt service, and the rent you receive. As you get more comfortable with that, add some more to it. Understand the process first. Exactly. Yep. So start with the simplest of the process, which is generally single-family homes, townhomes, condos, renting those, and, and build a little portfolio of that stuff. Mm -hmm. Then graduate to doing commercial. That could be small office buildings. It could be uh, triple-net deals that have you know dollar stores or auto stores or uh, pharmacies. You know, you kind of work your way up the food chain, right? <laughs> but the bigger the deal uh, in terms of the number of tenants in it and the square footage of the property, unless it's a triple net high credit tenant, the more risk you're taking on. Right. So you need to have um, some cash put away to make sure you can sustain the loss of tenants and, and not, you know, live your life on the ragged edge. <laughs> a lot of people are doing that, unfortunately. They lever themselves up to their eyeballs with car leases and house payments and whatever. And if they don't get their paycheck on time, their whole card house of cards could collapse. The, um, so I, I encourage people to start small and, uh, and get some personal experience with it and then kind of climb the ladder and choose your property types. You can do this by um, investing with partners also. So let's say you don't ever want to mess with talking to a tenant or fixing a clogged toilet or whatever. You could invest in a fund. You could invest in REITs on the public markets. You get lower rates of return than you do if you invest with local people in the marketplace. Got it, yep. 
But, you know, I raise money to invest alongside other people in the Raleigh Durham market, and we've done that very successfully for 33 years. Uh, that is a, a, a simpler way to go at it than trying to do it all you know, by yourself. It depends on what your objectives are. Do you want to be a tycoon and have your own little empire, or do you want to sort of co-invest in the sort of mutual fund approach? Uh, uh, there's also this thing called crowdfunding, yep. which you've heard about. Definitely. You can put a little <laughs> Kickstarter, bitty, all these other uh, GoFundMe. Yeah, little bitty yeah. real estate investors uh, can put little bitty amounts into these accounts, but they're not getting much in the way of returns. And I think that someday we're going to discover there was a lot of fraud and, and bad stuff that happened because people could hide behind the internet mm-hmm. and take your you know $1,000 from... 200 people and uh, take that $200,000 and say they put it in real estate but they didn't or they took put in a bad deal Man. or their own deal or something of that sort yeah wow and what about what any advice on on uh, you know commercial buyers tips well buying commercial real estate uh, is a little more complicated uh, than buying a house, although you signed less paperwork. <laughs> the feds, the regulators have made buying a house. You, know, you walk out with an inch high stack of uh, forms that you've signed, disclosures, and this, that, and that. It's insane. You don't have that much in commercial, but you do have a lot more moving parts. You, know, you really do have to worry about the environmental condition of the property. You do have to read all the leases. You, you do have to examine the operating expenses to make sure they're real and that uh, your, you know, your projections anticipate all the expenses that you could possibly encounter. That you do include some capital reserves because you're going to have to replace the roof. You're going to have to replace the air conditioning. You're going to have to replace the asphalt. Yeah. You better be reserving funds to do all that stuff. And a lot of folks forget about it. They think, oh, I'll just, I'm going to own this property for 10 years. I'll never have to spend any real money. Wrong. Really wrong. Because if you're the third guy in and the property is now 30 years old, the asphalt's shot. you yeah. got to replace yeah, the yeah. asphalt. Anyway, so... Um, I think that it requires more sophistication and more experts. And that's why I said to you earlier, get an experienced get advisor, advisor. Yep. who's walking you through the process. Cool, cool. Well, that's, that's great information to know. Uh, so just in closing, Jim, I always ask uh, these three questions. I call them the three hows. So how do you define failure? How do you define entrepreneurship? And how do you define success? Uh how do I define failure? I think that failure is a good thing for people to understand and learn from their setbacks. They have to admit that they failed at something. Yeah. But the real failure is not admitting that you had one, refusing to learn from it, or and or refusing to try again. That is failure. What is uh, entrepreneurship? Entrepreneurship is uh, having an idea, testing the idea, 
validating it, commercializing it, finding a way to take that idea and turn it into something of value, a service or a product, and then getting being smart enough to bring people around you so that you don't fail <laughs> to, <laughs> to learn from other people yeah. who've been down the road before you. I think one of the biggest mistakes entrepreneurs make is thinking, I'm going to do this by myself. I'm going to keep this all to myself. I don't need anybody else. Oh, yes, you do. Mm -hmm. You need other people to move your idea, however brilliant it is, forward. So, if you want to, if you want to build it into a business, anyone can have an idea. Exactly. So, <laughs> you know, to know, execute it, you need people. Absolutely, they know how to get that team together, and they know when they need to get out of the way yep. for yep. other people to move it forward. Great um, answer. And then your last question was, how do I think? How do I define success? I believe success is not measured in money. I think it is measured in how fulfilled you are in the discovery and the exercise of the gifts God has given you. How Love well it. have you sought out, found, and utilized those gifts? It may mean that you were involved in the nonprofit sector, mm -hmm. but you changed people's lives using your gifts. That's success. That would be my definition for any person, is that they find their gifts, they use them, and they uh, continue to develop them to improve the lives of others. Perfect. Perfect closing. I love it. Uh, Jim, really appreciate it. So where can people find you? Website, uh, Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn? Yeah. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, Jim Anthony uh, in Raleigh will bring me up. Uh, I've got a lot of connections there. I'm happy to make more, but uh, I am a little bit picky. If I don't think that we ought to be connected, then I won't connect. Mm -hmm. If I think that there's a benefit from what I share for you and what you might share for me, then I want to connect. It's about the quality of your connection, not the quantity, yeah, right? Yeah. Exactly. Uh, uh, yeah, you want to stay away from my Facebook page. <laughs> <laughs> it's just for friends. And Twitter. We, we don't know what's going on with Twitter yeah, nowadays. Uh, that's a fact. I've never been on Twitter. And website? And uh, my website, aacre.com, A-A-C-R-E.com. It's still under development. For my development and investment company called Anthony Property Group. The website for Colliers, Raleigh Durham, is colliers.com forward slash RDU. Perfect. Yeah. Cool. Jim, thank you so much, sir. Thank you for being here. It's really a pleasure speaking with you. And I think, I think people are really going to learn from this and uh, get a lot of knowledge. So really appreciate so. it. Hey, guys. Thanks a lot for watching Tales from the Pros. Please subscribe to our YouTube page and also follow our social media. Uh, there are links somewhere around here. But uh, we really appreciate it, guys. Thanks for all the support. And I'm going to be giving you awesome content continuously. And we look forward to seeing you soon.